Okay, so now I'm going to DM Todd his first tweet, and we're going to get into it. Strap in, because here we go. <laughs> God. I've, so this tweet, I have to tell you, I'm still mad. Like, when I see this tweet now, <laughs> I'm still mad about it. I'm still mad. Oh, really? Like, in theory, I'm still mad about it. So I'll, I'll <laughs> let me read it aloud. <laughs> okay. Um, I was reminded today of the time American Short Fiction sent me a rejection seven years after I submitted a story to them. They'd found my submission unopened behind a desk, read it, determined it still wasn't right for them, (laughs) told the story of finding the pages, and sent it back. So I get my own SASE back in the mail, and it's it's, it's, it's traveled through time and space to find me back in here in Palm Springs where I live now. But I had lived in, uh, I was living in L.A., we moved to Las Vegas, and then we moved to Palm Springs over the course of these seven years. So I had sent it to them in, I want to say it was 1996, and then I got it back in 2003. Wow, I'm surprised that my uh, my postage still counted, but maybe right. you know maybe they added a stamp to it. I don't know. And the story had already been published, and it already appeared yeah. in a book. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember American Short Fiction on the back of my on the back of my manuscript page wrote out a note. Hey, you're not going to believe this. We found this after seven years, and your middle envelope <laughs> was behind a desk. So sorry, it's not right for us, and sent it back. And I was like, oh, you bastards. And this is this is another painful story. So I used to submit every short story I wrote to Ziziva. And that yeah. meant I'd spend $1.65 to mail it to Ziziva magazine. Right. I had sent them like 15, 16 short stories at this point. This was like 1995. And my right. my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and I were living in a tiny little apartment at Sherman Oaks. And I remember we came home from like eating mall food like we had had we'd spent all the money we had at Sabaro and came home <laughs> and there was a message on the answering machine not the voicemail the answering machine and it was the right. editor of Ziziva who was a man named Howard Junker and wow. Howard said uh Thank you for your submission. I'm rejecting it, but I really was engaged by it, and I'd I'd really like to help discover you. Give me a call. I'd like to talk to you. And I'm like, holy shit. Here comes the Pulitzer. So I call him, and he says, send me everything you've got. I I have sent you everything I've got. (laughs) He says, what do you mean? I said, I've sent you every short story that I have. You've rejected every single one of them. Well... I guess try to send me something else sometime. <laughs> so I sent him something else saying, hey, we had this great conversation. Here's my new story. And he immediately wrote back, onward. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> this is not a healthy relationship between me and Howard Junker. Right. It's really good for listeners to understand that we're basically just built out of scar tissue <laughs> from all these terrible things that happened to us, right? Yes, that's correct. That is correct. Well, I mean, I, I should say I've been extraordinarily lucky. You know, I, I've i published 15 or 16 books in, that's incredible. in 22 years. So I've had way more hits than misses in my, in yeah. my career. But the misses still sting. You know, like, you don't believe the praise... And you're sure that the rejection is part of a, a widespread cabal. 
So this is from uh, December 19th, uh, 2020. What was the one thing you put on your Christmas list every year that you never got? For me, it was the Tyco Nyclo racetrack. God, I wanted that fucking thing. With the, with so the double cool. loops. Also, a real dad. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so my parents got divorced when I was uh, three years old. So 1974. So my dad was a TV newsman in the Bay Area. So he had okay. a voice like this, Gabe, where everything that he said sounded a little bit like he was about to tell you about the stock report or about the weather <laughs> or anything else that you use this intonation with and starting families and leaving them. That was his other big skill. He did that multiple times? He, he, was, he was quite good at this. So my dad then eventually remarried. And here's the important thing. My mom and my dad were legitimate crazy people. Um, so my okay. mom was undiagnosed bipolar. My dad was an actual sociopath, which creates okay. a great, you know, system in me to be a crime writer, right? <laughs> and so my mom was a journalist also. She was a society columnist. And so her job, and they were both living in the same city, her job was to go to parties and sleep with sort of like C-level celebrities B-level mobsters. My dad oh my was gosh. sleeping with the weather girl, and then he married a model. So he, he stopped paying child support, so it became illegal for him to come into the state of California after a while. And wow. so I didn't really see my dad again until I was maybe 10 years old. How many stepfathers you got? I got one. I got one. one, but they got back together again also. Ooh. Yeah, he was, and he was a crazy person also. He had played professional football in the 1950s. For the Chicago Cardinals wow. um, before they went to St. Louis. And this this will tell you how badly injured he was. He retired in the 1950s because of a concussion. So if you got a concussion wow. so bad in the 1950s that you had to retire. like right. That's like a lobotomy. Yeah, it's like you had been trepanned, right? Like someone had just <laughs> scooped out part of your brain while you were awake. And just like, yeah, that seems fine. And then he got into a car accident with my mom in like 1978. And got another concussion, and he was never the same. How old were you when they when he went through that transformation? Uh, I was seven. God, so that must have been incredibly hard for you to navigate. So there were two things that always stand out in my mind about him. He wore bikini underwear, Woo! and this was a giant wow. man. He was like he had he had been an offensive lineman, <laughs> so he was like six foot five, two hundred and forty pounds. He was huge. He would stomp around the house in his bikini underwear holding a knife and screaming at us mm. in German. As a Jew, Whoa. as a Jew, having someone scream oh. at me in German, like I didn't even know it yet, but that was like my DNA was like go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. time to leave. All all of your sirens yeah. are going off. I remember like the last straw was he had chased us all into the garage. We had to block the door. You could lock the door from the inside of the garage. And so we locked it from the inside yeah. and then put a chair underneath it. And then we we escaped essentially out of the out of the big garage door. Um, and that was it. After that, my mom finally wow. decided that maybe she should divorce him. God, I haven't thought about this forever. He would say things to me like, do you know what your name is in German? And I'd be like, no. And he'd oh. say, it's death. Your name in German is Dad. What? Yeah. Yeah. God, I haven't thought about that in years. I don't even know if I ever told my lovely wife that. Oh, I, that just came to me. We were, I can, I can yeah. see myself sitting at our kitchen table 
And I'm, I was eating yeah. like peanut butter Captain Crunch or something. And he sat down and he just said, do you know what your name is in German? It's death. It's the curse of a great memory. Is like it's wonderful for our writing and for storytelling. And then at 3 a.m. you're like, why did I say that in sixth grade? <laughs> yes. And isn't it interesting, too, how most people don't remember things and all they remember is how you made them feel yes. but they do not remember the exact words they're not even cognizant that they hurt right. you in this specific way that you remember right. you yeah. know exactly yeah and i am <laughs> more twitterverse after the break Welcome back to Twitterverse. I'm going to DM another tweet. Let's see here. July 28th, 2019. The worst people in the history of songs. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the couple in the Pina Colada song. They deserve their pain. Uh, number two, Jolene, obviously. Uh, number three, everyone in Cats in a Cradle, get some therapy. You're ruining lives. Oh, number four, Luca's husband. That motherfucker needs to be walked into a door. Okay. December 2nd, 2020. <laughs> Is it wrong to make myself laugh? Um, I was going to watch Trump's 46-minute speech, but decided instead to belt sand my eyeballs while listening to Butterfly <laughs> Kisses and Jesus Shoes, and we built this city on headphones made of bees. <laughs> the headphones made of bees is just a beautiful way to end that. Oh, God. Yeah, this is good. Oh, this, this picture breaks my heart. So this is from August 3rd, 2021. There's a photo of uh, four people. And there's a little boy, a boy who's slightly older than him, a young woman, and a woman of about 40. The small boy here is my grandfather. Two days after his family escaped pogroms in Bar, Ukraine, which at the time was the Pale of Settlement, into Romania in bags of potatoes. His infant brother died in the same bag as him. Those eyes are mine. I'm vaxxed for these people. Uh, that makes me want to cry That's seeing incredible. them again. This picture breaks my yeah. heart because I look like my grandfather in this photo. That's what I looked like when I was a little boy. Those same eyes. Wow. Um, so he came to America. He didn't speak a word of English. And he was a Russian living in Walla Walla, Washington, of all places. They were the only Jews in town. And he was wow. beaten up terribly for not speaking English and for being a little Russian kid. And my grandfather ended up being the most powerful man in that region, essentially. He owned the city of Walla Walla. He ended really? up buying almost all of the real estate in town. So 
my grandfather from a very young age told me the story of like I got my ass kicked every day people were terrible to me and he said and you know what I was the richest man in town and every single person that had come to me and beat me up when I was a kid eventually came to me and asked me for a favor or for money and I helped them this is what we do you know we we stand up as better people you know and it's what we do as Jews was his more defining point about it so the town that they lived in bar ukraine they killed every single jew there by 1921 and then jews moved back and they killed every single jew there in world war ii every single one and i just think by the grace of god (laughs) that i'm not sure i believe in yeah i exist right like if they hadn't gotten out in 1919 or they had moved back when they thought it was safe like I'd be dead. The most special thing that happened actually is the year that he died, I was uh, I was 14. And he took me out on the water one night. He said to me, I'm not going to live much longer. And when I die, I need you to be strong for your mother because your mother is going to lose it. And I, you need to know that I've had a great and wonderful life. And he just said this to me. I was 14 years old. I don't want you to cry. I don't want you to be sad. He's like... But just know that, you know, I know that I'm going to die soon. And he died three months later. I mean, he told me lots of things just about kindness and about empathy and about being a giving and open person. I remember this was, I was probably eight years old and we were in Palm Springs on vacation. And my mom had just done something foolish and had taken like a second mortgage on the house and all kinds of crazy shit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She was doing, she'd do this a lot. Like, she'd fall in love with a man and give that man whatever money she had. Like, she was oh. she was always ripe to be someone's mark. And my mom was trying to explain to Papa Dave, like, why she needed this money. And my Papa Dave turned to her and said, if I give you a dime, you will spend a dollar. So, like, I have a lot more empathy now just sort of knowing, like, oh, well, she was dating a bunch of dudes and bringing a bunch of dudes over because... She was bipolar, so she was hypersexualized, right? Right, right. She was profoundly lonely. Yeah. So she was meeting dudes and bringing them home. Right. And, uh, you know, eventually she became sick. You know, all, all these other things like, okay, I get it. Like, she had a lot of stuff going on. It doesn't make my childhood any easier, but I right. have such a better relationship with her now than I did when she was alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It sounds like you kind of have some forgiveness for all that, which is kind of the most incredible and the hardest thing to do, right? Yeah. To find that forgiveness. You have to, you know, because otherwise you you live your life as a bitter, angry person. Having fights with dead people is no way to live your life. I will tell you a funny story, though. (laughs) This is actually a funny story. So my mom had fallen. My sister called and said, hey, they've got mom hooked up to a bunch of stuff. She's going to die in like four hours. You got to get out of here. You know, I was the last person to arrive. I'm holding her hand, and I basically said, like, you know, you can go now. And she dies. It's been a while, and there's all of us siblings are sitting in the room. And they had taken my mom to a Lutheran hospital, and we're Jews. (laughs) And so (laughs) we're sitting there, and we're pretty sure my mom has died. And then the nurse comes in, and she's like, yes, your mother has passed. We say, okay. And she says, would you like the, the priest to come up and say a few words? And we're like, well, we're Jewish. (laughs) and my sister karen who's the more spiritual one of all of us she's like sure what harm could it do yeah 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 yeah. bring him up (laughs) so about 10 minutes later 
this guy comes sort of like bursting into the room. He's he's sweaty. His hair is kind of like stuck to his <laughs> forehead. He's a little rumpled. He's he's a little overweight, and he just sort of like bursts into the room. And he's like, oh, uh, hello, hello. <laughs> he's like, I'm, uh, I'm so sorry about your mother. I would I would love to do a prayer over her, and we're like, that that would be wonderful. So he does this very moving prayer, and there's there's uh, eight of us in the room at this point. There's all four of us and our spouses. Wow. And um, he finishes up, and he sort of goes, whew, I still got it. I still got it. <laughs> and we're like, I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm a Lutheran, so I'm the kind of priest that can have a wife and kids, and... I took some time off because my wife had a new kid, and I haven't I haven't been doing this in a while. And I'm at home, and I get the call, and I you know I hadn't done this. I'd been off, and so I rushed over, and I just hadn't done this in a while. And I understand that you're Jews, so this is sort of real helpful for me to be able to sort of do this for you guys. And I just I still got it. I can still do it. I can still do it. <laughs> so I turn to my brother who's sitting behind me, and I'm like, "This is mine." I get this. He's like, ah, damn it. I was like, I get to tell the story for the rest of my life. Not you, me. This is mine. It belongs to me. Listen, Uh, man, I've had like such a great time. Yeah, me too. I love talking to you today and I hope that you'll come back on at some point and I can't wait to see you back out on the timeline. (laughs) Thanks. I can't wait to find out how many more people begin to follow me and my very important tweets. So that was Todd Goldberg, a deep, hilarious, wise, and gentle soul. My God, the stories from his life. I could sit there and listen to them all day. I just love the guy. What did we learn about Todd? That it's a miracle that he's still here. That his home life as a kid in the 70s was beyond. I can relate. If you didn't live through the 70s as a kid with divorced parents, you'll never know how unhinged the adults really got. Anyway, I just think of little kid Todd and that giant stepdad walking around in bikini briefs holding the knife. And I think of his grandfather, Papa Dave, how he arrived in Walla Walla penniless and was maligned, how he ended up owning all of Walla Walla, Washington, how he explained to young Todd that he'd subsequently helped every one of his former aggressors, and how he told Todd that as Jews, that is what we do. We be the bigger person. And that story about his grandfather taking Todd out on the boat at night when Todd was 14 and explaining to him that he would die soon, but not to feel bad for him because he led a great life and that what he needed Todd to do was to step up and take care of his mother. I wish more people would be like Papa Dave. Anyway, so Todd recommended that you follow three people on Twitter. The first is at Jason Isbell. That's his favorite singer. The second is at BlackLionKing73, S.A. Cosby, international best-selling crime writer. Todd loves his work. The third handle that Todd recommended you follow on Twitter is at B.C. Dreyer, Benjamin Dreyer. He's the author of the New York Times best-selling Dreyer's English and Stead, and I highly recommend you follow him as well. And while you're at it, come say hi on Twitter, at Gabe Hudson. Don't be the main character on the timeline, and keep those tweets 100. <laughs> 